As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. This program searches out the best in business, real estate, entrepreneurship, and education, and brings it to you in an informative and entertaining format. Now, please welcome your host, Mike Morris. Hello, and welcome to Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris. And on each edition of Movers and Shakers, we look for interesting people to talk about interesting things. And on today's show, we have a fascinating guest. Dr. Joseph P. Martino, Ph.D., was a senior research scientist at the University of Dayton. He is a fellow of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and an associate fellow of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. In 1984, Dr. Martino was awarded the Centennial Medal from the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers. Dr. Joseph Martino, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Well, we are. We're glad to have you here, too, that's for sure. And, and I'm going to make a military reference, and we'll get to the military in just a moment. But all the stuff I just read, that's quite a patch of medals to wear on your lab coat. In layman's terms, tell me about the work you did at the University of Dayton Research Institute. Okay, University of Dayton Research Institute is a contract research organization. It uh, does research for outside clients, either industry or government. And basically, we, we have to uh, rustle up our own work. They used to tell us, you, you have two weeks tenure here. You've got to get, you've got to get a contract before that's out or you're out. <laughs> That's a good way to, to really get you going, isn't it? It motivates you to write proposals. Yeah, you're not kidding. Who came to that institute? What kind of clients did you have? 
Well, uh, my clients included uh, companies like General Electric and uh, uh, government agencies like uh, Federal Aviation Agency, also National Science Foundation and NASA. So I just made a kind of a, a reference to the military, but I'm going to make a real reference right now. You were a colonel in the United States Air Force. First of all, thank you for your service to our country. We very much appreciate your your sacrifices and your service. Now, you came of well, age during I had the one birth- doing it. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. My dad was a captain in the Navy, which is the same rank as you, a colonel in the Air Force. Yes, and he always enjoyed it a lot. Now, you came of age during the birth of the modern Air Force. I was in the Air Force ROTC in college, and I know that uh, General Hap Arnold founded it, basically, in 1947. You started in about 1952, so just a few years later. What changes did you see from from 1952 to when you finally retired? They were just kind of getting into the jets and the jet age. Tell me, Tell me your time in the Air Force. Well, of course, one of the big things was change in uniforms. We were still wearing the Army uniform when I was in ROTC. Um, became a blue suitor on graduation from ROTC. Uh, jet, jet aircraft were, of course, one of the big innovations. Um, we had to deal with things like uh, does the does the jet engine ruin a uh, an asphalt runway or can we still run uh, jet jet aircraft on the old asphalt runways? Turned out, yes, you could. And it didn't seem to be much of a problem. You know, uh, no. uh, Dr. Martino, I was in contact with a friend of mine, Andrew Holney. He is an electrical engineering technology specialist, and he helped me kind of find out uh, information about you. And I, I understand your focus was on technology forecasting and methodical R&D project selection. Tell me what you did That's when correct. you were at Tell me, tell me what you did. What what was your day to day activity when you got a client and you're and you're working on all this stuff? What happened? What were you doing? Well, the first thing we have to uh, obtain is what does the client really want. That is, what kind of question is the client trying to answer? In the case of somebody wanting a forecast, for instance, we did a technology forecast of communication satellites for NASA. And their concern was uh, how many satellites are there going to be up there? How big are they going to be? What power levels will they have? Things like that. So we started with data on uh, previous satellites and figured out, well, if we could do that, what could we? What would we do next? What were the likely uh, uh, next steps for uh, for General Electric? Uh, this was a weird one in a way. Uh, they make jet engines, of course, and that's where that's the part of the company we had the contract with. And one of the things they do is get in alloys to make jet engine blades out of, and they have to test the uh, they have to test samples of the alloy to determine. Uh, likely lifetime of the engine blades. Well, if you do it by conventional statistical methods, you need to do 30 samples. You have to get 30 samples of the alloy and essentially test them to death. And they asked, can we do it with fewer? And the answer was yes, and the reason that we could 
showed them you could do it with fewer because the the method they were using assumed you never saw the, an alloy before. You were completely ignorant. Whereas, of course, you had history on thousands of samples from prior tests. So we said, if you use that information too, in addition to the information you get from testing the samples, you can cut the number of samples needed down to 16 and still get the same confidence level in your result. But the important point was using the history that you had instead of throwing it away. How do you think, uh, in, in your time at the at the Institute, how do you think computers have changed the ways that people do the job you did? I mean, you didn't have access to these high-power computers when you were working there. Do you think that yes, these I did. computers... Actually, we had... Uh, uh, That's interesting. Some uh, um, uh, many computers, uh, what were they... Digital, Digital Equipment Corporation computers, I believe, and we had access to them online. And shortly after I got there, um, personal computers were available. I had one on, on uh, the uh, working table in my office. But you're right, that was new. I came in just about the time those things were happening. Tell me about so, the books uh, you've written. I know you're a big-time author in this uh, subject area. Talk to me about the books you've written. Well, I did a, a book on technology forecasting that went through three editions. Basically, it's a, a, a text. How do you go about it? What are the methods? What data do you need? What's, uh, well, how, do you, how do you do this thing? And, and in fact, I taught courses in it using the textbook. I, I taught courses at uh, University of Dayton, and I also had a two-semester teaching assignment at Marmara University in Istanbul, where I used that same textbook. Wow, but that was an adventure, wasn't it? <laughs> Holy it cow. sure was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since we're talking about schools, where'd you get your education? Tell me how you learned all this. Okay, I did my undergraduate at Miami of Ohio, which bills itself as a public ivy, and I think that's a good description. Well, they are heavy in uh, uh, liberal arts. So uh, when I uh, the, the the deal there is you have to have a minimum of 15 credit hours a semester, eight semesters that's 120 hours. Well, I finished up with 150 hours in order to cram in all the uh, science and math courses I needed, plus all the liberal arts courses the university required. So in effect. I crammed five years of college into four years. Oh, oh! You made the rest of us yeah. look bad. Is that what you were doing? <laughs> yeah. After I graduated, uh, got my commission from ROTC, went on active duty, and the first thing they did was send me to Purdue for a master's degree in electrical engineering. So I spent uh, eighteen months there. I got the master's degree. Then I went to work at, uh, was a station at Wright Field working on missile guidance systems. After my duty tour there, they sent me to Ohio State for a doctorate in mathematics, and from then on, I, all my assignments were uh, various Air Force research and development installations. Well, Dr. Martino, when we come back, we're going to talk about how you choose the right projects and what to do once you get them. So we have on our program right now Dr. Joseph Martino. I don't know whether to call him Dr. Martino or Colonel Martino, but I'm sure both of them apply. <laughs> 
And we're going to take I, a little I, break. When somebody here. asks me that question, my, my joking response is, Herr Dr. Professor Colonel will do nicely. Boy, that sounds so good. We're going to take a little break here. This is Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris, and we'll be right back. Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folk Style Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBM Global Network. Welcome back to Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris. We have with us today Dr. Joseph Martino, but I'm going to change that a little bit. I'm going to change it to Colonel Joseph Martino. Colonel Martino, you were, uh, you're a Ph.D., but you're also a colonel in the Air Force. And uh, during the break, we were just chit-chatting a little bit. I was in the Air Force ROTC my freshman year of college, but my eyes weren't good enough. to. The, for some reason, the government wants you to have good eyes when you're flying their planes, and mine, unfortunately, weren't. But you, uh, you excelled in the, in the military. Give me, a, give me a couple of stories about being in the Air Force. Okay, well, I was the one about my eyes that I was going to tell you. Um, I joined the Naval Reserve when I was 17, hoping it would get me into Navy ROTC because I knew there was no other way I was going to afford college but to get a full Navy scholarship. So uh, I memorized the eye chart when I joined the Reserve, read it off from memory, <laughs> and they accepted me. So I, I spent three years of high school in the Naval Reserve doing the usual meetings in two-week uh, active duty. Then I got to Miami uh, of Ohio, and I wanted, I wanted to sign up for Navy ROTC. So I went in, and they had an eye chart, and it was too long to memorize. So I uh-oh, I'm not going to pass this one. Big so troubles. I walked down the hall. <laughs> I walked down the hall, and there was the Air Force. First year on campus, Air Force ROTC. They didn't yet have an eye chart. So they signed me up. So I, I got into Air Force ROTC. I did not have to face an eye test until I was a junior. And even then, they, they kept me in, but I, they would not uh, let me fly. So I, I was a ground pounder in the Air Force for 20, 22 years, all the time in, in research and development. I'm an engineer. Now, I can tell you, my dad loved the Navy, and, and uh, it sounds like you had a great time in the Air Force. I'm so glad to hear that. It's, just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's good for you to serve our country, but it's also good for the people who serve our country to enjoy it. That's just great. Great. Well, let's talk about your, uh, let's talk about your research uh, time here. How do, you, how do you begin when selecting the right project? And I'll tell you, my friend Andrew gave me these questions. I, I appreciate that, and, and I want to know what the criteria are. How do you know the right path to take when you get a project? How do you know what, what to do? Well, it depends on the circumstances. In the case of my work at UD, 
I was dealing with either uh, a, 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 uh, an industry customer or a, a government agency. In the case of the government agencies, most of them are in the business of accepting proposals. You go in with what you think is a good project. And if you can convince them that it's a good project, they will buy the proposal and fund it. For industry, however, it's the other way around. They have their own idea about what the project is, and you have to convince them that you're the right person to do it. So depending on whether I was angling for a government or an industry contract, contract I had to either propose something that would be attractive to the government or convince the the commercial customer, the business customer, that yes, I had I was uh, on the track of answering his problem. But in either case, the, the uh, once you get the uh, a, a contract or, or a grant from whatever source, you have to have had some idea at the outset. You, you don't go into this blind. You don't go in saying, uh, well, uh, I'll figure it out when I get the contract. You have to have an idea ahead of time how you're going to solve the problem. So once you have figured out what you're going to propose, I intend to address this problem in this manner, and then you get the contract, well, then you have to do it. You have to address the problem in the manner that you said you would. Dr. Martino, you got any... Uh... Have you got any examples of, of successes or, or or the other side of that? Any of failures? And if you did fail, what'd you learn from the failure? Any examples like that? Actually, I was fortunate in never having a, a, a real failure. Uh, I did have some projects that I think were successful, but the the client was unable to use the results. Uh, I mentioned a contract for NASA in which we did a forecast of. Uh, communication satellites well i think the uh, the forecast was quite good we tracked it for several years but uh, nasa really does not uh decide where where the where, where the communication satellites are going to go they they are a a uh, a trucking agency the uh, the customer or the satellite supplier decides i want this satellite in that orbit and pays NASA to put it there. So NASA was not really able to use the results that we had come up with. Now in the case of uh, the, the one I mentioned doing the uh, uh, statistical analysis for General Electric, the uh, situation was entirely different. They had people there on their staff there who understood what we did and were able to use it. And so far as I know, they were happy with the results. So it kind of depends on the, the circumstances. I've never had a project that I would say was an outright failure, but I've had some that the uh, the client was, for one reason or another, unable to fully exploit. You've mentioned uh, NASA. Uh, have you provided forecasting to any high-profile projects that we may have heard about? And and, uh, and tell me about it. You know, anything that, that we'd know about that we use in our daily lives now? No, the only one that we did for NASA was that one on communication satellites. And as I said, we've tracked, the for several years after we finished it, we tracked the actual uh, results, and we were very close. But uh, NASA is not in the 
communications business. They're in the, the truck hauling business. So somebody will come to them with a satellite and say, we want this in that orbit. And it's their job to put it there. You know, you've, uh, you're you in the business of forecasting and, and, and helping people decide what they're going to do. Did you and your colleagues see this phenomenon? I've got one sitting right here on my desk right now. I know for a fact you have a cell phone because I have your telephone numbers. Did you see all these satellites in space that are going to help us change our lives with things like cell phone technology? Did you see that coming along? I personally did not see cell phone technology coming. Uh, there may well have been people who did, but I wasn't among them. Well, well nobody paid me to look either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's ubiquitous, I can tell you that. Uh, let me ask you about a good story that you told me. Tell me the story about solving the problem with gyroscopes, where you wanted to take a big old giant gyroscope and make it a very small one. Explain that story. Okay. Yeah, the, we were using a mechanical gyroscopes, spinning wheels. And like any mechanical device, they rattled. So I was tasked to look for alternative methods of detecting rotation. And I came across this scheme uh, called uh, Estagnac Gyro, named after the Frenchman who invented it. But it's a big interferometer. If you spin it around an axis uh, at right angles to the plane of the interferometer, the uh, uh, light interference fringes will shift and will shift in the direction that tells you how fast it's spinning and in what direction it's spinning. Well, Sanyak tested his gadget on the deck of a ship, took up the whole deck. He drove, had the uh, uh, crew drive the ship in a big circle, and he got the, the results that he anticipated. So I, when I came across that, I thought, gee, here's a, a completely non-mechanical gyro. How, are, how can we adopt that? So Sanyak used light waves in, in his interferometer, I did the calculations to see how we could shrink it down. And it turned out to get it to the size we needed and maintain the sensitivity we needed, light wasn't good enough, we'd have to use gamma rays. Well, that wouldn't work because there are no mirrors for gamma rays. You can't make them follow a closed path like a, a regular interferometer. So I gave up on that. And several years later, after I was working in a totally different assignment, I was reading the uh, weekly news magazine, Aviation Week, and I came across an article on a laser gyro. I said, well, how do you make a gyro out of a laser? So I read a couple of paragraphs into the article, and I had one of these head-slapping moments. Well, of course, you, make it, you use it in the Sanyak gyro. And, of course, that's the way it's done now. Uh, almost all uh, aerospace gyroscopes are laser gyros. And I can imagine that's what makes science so exciting. Dr. Martino, we're going to take a little break here, and when I come back, we're going to want to talk to you about maritime uh, discoveries that you've made. So we're with Dr. Joseph Martino. He was the senior researcher at the University of Dayton Research Institute. This is Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris, and we will be right back. Abuse happens every moment of every day. According to national statistics in the United States, every two minutes, someone is sexually assaulted, and every 10 minutes, a report of child abuse is made. 
Those currently struggling with abuse, or if you know someone who has been the victim of abuse, you are not alone. Whether physical, mental, emotional, or sexual, know there is hope, there is help, there is healing. Author Tammy Hall has written a book from her own account of abuse called Journey of Courage that can guide you through your own personal journey of healing. Stop struggling through life. It's your story. It's your healing. And it can begin with the first turn of the page. Visit www.journeyofcourage.com to begin your path to becoming the person you were ultimately created to be. Healed. Hopeful. Happy. There are artists and then there's Alice Asmar. This award-winning artist has spent her entire life devoted to her artistic pursuits and has had a lifelong fascination with American Indians of the southwestern United States. Her book, Dance to the Great Spirit, showcases her drawings and paintings inspired by sacred rituals of the Pueblo Indians and four of her lithographs are in permanent collection at the National Museum of American History and the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. She is one of four artists in the United States to win a Woolley Fellowship for study in Paris at L'École des Beaux-Arts and has been featured in numerous publications. She's exhibited at the world's most prestigious museums and galleries and recently won a 20-year service award from the Burbank City Council and the inaugural art competition of the Foundation of the United States in Paris. Visit www.asmarart.com, www.aliceasmarinternational.com and email alice at aliceasmar at aol.com. Welcome back to Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris. We have with us Dr. Joseph Martino, and it's been a fascinating show. Now, Dr. Martino, you just told a great story about how you took a gyroscope that was on a ship and put it on a plane. Now I want to talk to you. Let's stay up in space here. I want to talk to you about the demand for liquid fuels in space. Explain that to me. What What is it? And is it has it made our space program possible by having liquid fuels like this? Well, the thing, the uh, liquid fuels are oh, almost all the rockets we fly use liquid fuels, so that was not the issue. The issue was um, Martin Marietta Corporation was building uh, boosters for the space shuttle. And they wanted some kind of forecast of what would be the demand in orbit for fuel uh, for their uh, uh, boosters. So would it would it be worth planning to put up, a, in effect, an orbital gas station or something like that? So uh, we put together a forecasting model of uh, demand for uh fueling in orbit based on a number, a variety of assumptions. Were we going to the moon? Were we going to the planets? Uh, what, what, uh, were we going to have a space war? What kind of demand would there be for uh, fuels in orbit? And our forecasting model came up with a number of results depending on what you believed about the assumptions. If we were going to the moon, that would mean one thing. If we're going to the planets, that would mean something else in the demand for uh, a gas station in orbit, and so on. So that was really it, uh, given the assumption of what we were going to do in space, how much fuel would we need, and would it make sense to store it up there? So what was the answer? 
Well, uh, if you if you, the demand is high enough, yes, it makes sense to store it up there, because you uh, it doesn't make sense to haul the whole uh, the whole spacecraft in and out of the Earth's gravity well each and every time. The spacecraft is going to a, uh, another, going to the moon, for instance. Why bring it down and back up again? Uh, keep the whole the spacecraft in in orbit, and just bring the cargo up and down on another uh, vehicle, which does nothing but uh, uh, go in and out of orbit. So, given the assumption that you're going to do that, how much fuel are you going to need, and where are you going to store it, and things like that. Again, so far as I know, Martin Marietta was happy with our results, but fortunately, we have not had the space war that we saw as a partial driver for a need for a gas station in orbit. Well, pretty soon. I hope I hope we will. You know, this has been a fascinating conversation, Dr. Martino, and I sure do appreciate it. You're, uh, you, you've had a great career, and I'll tell our listeners once again, not only were you a senior research scientist at the University of Dayton, you're a colonel in the United States Air Force, and, and I know you've enjoyed both careers. It, 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 you had a remarkable career, and we appreciate your being on the show today. Glad to do it. Good deal. This is Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris. My thanks to Andrew Holney. He helped me uh, prepare for this interview, and I'm so glad that he did because this was a fascinating show, and I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed interviewing Dr. Joseph Martino. Please join us next time for Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. I'm Mike Morris. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers with your host, Mike Morris. Join us on the next edition of Movers and Shakers to learn about the latest trends and topics that face us and focus us every day. Here on Bold Brave Media's Movers and Shakers. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.